0: Well hey, good morning Christ Community Church. It is uh, good to join you in spirit this morning as we gather online for our morning worship service. My name is Matt. I'm the youth director here at Christ Community Church. And again, I'm so glad you've joined us this morning. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter three. We're gonna be in verses 21 through 35 this morning as we finish out this chapter. And while you're making your way there, I'd like to share with you the key truth for this sermon. The key truth is this. God's presence calms our fears so that his wisdom can guide us as we love our neighbors generously in this fallen world. Let me read that again. God's presence calms our fears so that His wisdom can guide us as we love our neighbors generously in this fallen world. If you would, let's give our hearts and minds to the reading of God's word. This is Proverbs 3:21 through35. "My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again, tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, He is scornful, but to the humble, He gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning, what we just heard from Proverbs 3 is the fourth lecture in the book of Proverbs. We've heard uh, several of these lectures so far as Proverbs or as Solomon in Proverbs is telling his son, the, the worth of wisdom and the ways of wisdom. Two weeks ago, we heard the third lecture in which it was all about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then last week, we heard Lady Wisdom's interlude, where she comes back on the scene in between the third and the fourth lecture, and she talks about how wisdom is more valuable than anything else our hearts can desire, and how wisdom lies at the very foundation of creation as God has made all things. And now, with with that interlude being as a Janus, that which looked back to the love of the Lord our God, and then looking ahead to this fourth lecture, which is all about loving our neighbor. And it's interesting, isn't it, how the two great commandments that Jesus calls all those who follow him to shape their lives by, loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbor as ourselves, they are here in Proverbs, and wisdom runs right through them both. We can't do these things unless we are growing in wisdom. But before we turn and we really explore what Proverbs is telling us about how to love our neighbors well, I'd like us to consider this question. What are you most afraid of? And I I don't simply mean in terms of phobias, like I, I don't like spiders, but I don't mean phobias like that. I mean, what are you most afraid of happening to you in life? What kind of bad things are you afraid of? And then how are your fears limiting your ability to love your neighbor? Because the funny thing about fear is that it radically changes the way we see everything. Fear leads us to fret over bad things. And in particular, it leads us to to obsess over the bad things that we don't want to happen to us. And when that happens, it means we're no longer considering all the good or the beautiful things we could be doing for others. And so if we don't address our fears, then we will not be able to love our neighbors well. When we try to do it, it will be as an anxious presence, not in great joy and freedom. And there's a lot in our world that we can be afraid of, isn't there? It is a wild year. So many of us are probably groaning in our spirits like, I just want 2020 to be over. Bring on 2021. Um, And if you think about it, you probably said something similar about 2019 last year. And you were like, bring on 2020. And none of us knew what we were asking. Um, It's been a hard year, but we can't wait around for the times to get better and become ideal before we get around to thinking about what it means to love our neighbors. We live in a fallen world. The times are always bad in one way or another. And so Solomon knows that. And that is why, as we're about to see the first few verses in Proverbs 3, um, or in this section of that, that chapter, 21 through 26, they are all about God's presence calming our fears. It's interesting, isn't it? It's going to take seven verses in this lecture that's all about loving our neighbor for Solomon to actually get to that topic. And he starts out by talking about God's presence being with us through thick and thin because he knows that it's only when God's presence is calming our fears that we can truly love our neighbors well. So as we look at this first chunk of the text, the first thing we see is that Solomon urges us, don't lose sight of wisdom. And that has been a resounding theme and motif over and over again. We're only three chapters into this book, but remember wisdom. Don't lose sight of it. Keep your eyes fixed upon it. And why? Because it is so easy to lose sight of it. This world is full of fog and mirrors and smoke screens and billboards and pop-up ads and bad news, all of which seem to sound a lot louder and look a lot bigger than the good news of the gospel at times. And so it takes wisdom to continue to look at wisdom itself and also, even more importantly, to keep sight of God's presence in our lives. Solomon knows we need to keep sight of these things. And the the facets of wisdom he highlights here in verse 21, sound wisdom and discretion, these are key terms that have actually appeared already in the book of Proverbs. Um, Sound wisdom appeared in chapter 2, verse 7, and discretion appeared in chapter 1, verse 4, and chapter 2, verse 11. And so these are particular facets of God's wisdom that He gives us and trains us up in. And in particular, these two are not just a type of understanding, but they're almost like wisdom muscles that over time, as we study and listen to Proverbs and we grow in God's wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit, we strengthen these faculties in our hearts and minds. Sound wisdom refers to being resourceful. The ability to, even when life is going crazy and going wrong and and things seem hard and the the way gets difficult, being able to navigate a course that is faithful and fruitful to the ways of the Lord. And discretion is the ability to think for yourself. And not in the way where you're like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to make up my own truth. You do you. I'm going to do me. Um, Leave me alone. But the ability to think for yourself when everybody around you is going one way and they're all saying, you need to come do this thing. But you're willing to stop and say, hold on, let me think about that. And not just think about it, but let me think about that in light of God's wisdom. And so discretion is the the ability to see through the fog and mirrors of the world, to to see temptation for what it is, and to turn and follow the better way, and to follow after the Lord, even when no one else is going with you. And So Solomon is saying, hold fast to these things. They will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck, echoing chapter 1, verse 9 again. So these things will sustain our life. But then notice how he unpacks the benefits of wisdom in verses 23 through 26. He doubles down on the fact that these things help us remember God's presence. And it's not as though without these things, God chooses not to be with us. No, if we are in Christ, then God is with us always. But it's that these aspects of wisdom help us see what is always true. The Lord our God is with us. And if, if you look at these verses, you'll, you'll notice that um, Solomon is talking about the sun walking through the paths of life and also lying down to rest at night. It is comprehensive. There is no aspect of his life, his work, or his rest that, that escapes God's presence. As for him walking along the way of life, verse 23 and 26 both mention the son's foot. 23 talks about his foot not stumbling and being able to walk in the way securely. and Verse 26 talks about God keeping his foot from being caught in a trap or a snare. And that might make you think of something we've heard earlier in Proverbs. And it should. It's an echo of Proverbs chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. It was there in the very first lecture that Solomon tells the son, look, there are going to be men of violence who come up to you. And they say, hey, throw in your lot with us. We will lead you on the path to a quick dollar. We will get easy glory and fame and success. Just come with us and join us in our ways. Solomon said, don't go with them. Why? Because their foot will be caught in their own snares and traps. They will stumble over their own folly. And now he's contrasting the life of wisdom with that life of folly. It is worth pursuing wisdom because when we pursue wisdom, we are abiding in God's presence and he will deliver us from whatever may attack us in an ultimate sense. And notice though, if Solomon is saying that the Lord will keep the son's foot from stumbling and he will keep his foot from being trapped That means that the path the son is walking on is not without difficulty. It is not an easy way. It is a path in a fallen world. There are things and trials that that could trip him up, that he needs God to sustain him and give him steady footing, step by step all the way through. And there are people who are coming after him, whether men of violence or or people coming to tempt him to, to go astray. And the Lord has to give him wisdom and guide him through that as well. So this reminds us, that wisdom is not about getting enough life hacks and common sense so we can avoid suffering. We really wish it were like that. But wisdom's not about building fortresses of safety and security so we can keep the world out and just live an easy life. Wisdom allows us to navigate life in this very fallen, very real world and do so in a way where no amount of suffering or trial or temptation or tribulation can snatch us from our Father's hand. And not only are we just kind of gritting our teeth and burying it, but we can walk and live in such a way in the midst of these things and bear fruit of the Spirit, even in hard times. Notice too, in the middle of that, in verse 24, Solomon talks about the sun lying down. And how many of us, when we lie down, do the fears that, that haunt us in our life just dance like monsters under the bed and the, the regrets and, and the, the things we wish we had done that day or wish we hadn't done, they also dance like skeletons in the closet and sleep can be a hard time for us. Sleep can escape us and it's when our minds just race with all of the things we're fretting about in the future and they go round and round and round in our heads and we can feel very alone. Solomon's point though is he's saying wisdom helps us remember in those moments. It lets us talk back to the voices in our heads so to speak so we can say be still. I can sleep. Yes I have limitations. Yes there are things that I didn't get done today. Yes there are things on the horizon that make me nervous but the Lord is with me even now and it It is as if Solomon is saying, use wisdom to remember that God is like the parent whose child is afraid of the monsters under the bed, who comes in and opens the door and flicks on the light and looks under the bed and looks in the closet and says, there's no monsters here. You can sleep. And more important, I am with you. You can sleep easy. It's okay. And so wisdom helps us remember that our God is with us and that no matter what weighs heavy on us, it cannot take us away from His presence. He protects us. And so then Solomon in verse 25 He talks about not being afraid of sudden terror. And this can often be, it's those what-ifs in life where, where we just worry about things suddenly bottoming out that can really cripple us and paralyze us. But we need not be afraid because God sees around all the corners of our lives. He knows what is coming and He is with us still. And then the ruin of the wicked. This is a very interesting aspect of this verse. It is talking back to Lady Wisdom's first speech when she was crying out to the fools and the simple ones where they live, work, and play. And she was saying, turn to me, listen to my reproof. I will transform you. I will make you wise. It is the call ultimately of Christ who is our wisdom, the call of the gospel to go from being a rebellious sinner and to become a redeemed and beloved child of God and to walk in His presence all your days. But remember there was a warning in Lady Wisdom's speech. And about verse 26, she talks about how she will laugh at the calamity if they ignore her. There will come a day where terror will strike them like a storm, where their ruin will fall upon them, where they will be judged, and their rebellion will have to be answered for on their own heads. And so Solomon's saying here, it is different for the one who dwells in the presence of the Lord in Christ, that we need not fear the ruin of the wicked, because Christ has already endured the full wrath of God for our sins if he has endured God's wrath for our sins and God has raised him to newness of life for our justification, then what would God not give us if he has given us his own son and life in him? But I think for so many of us, this is honestly where our deepest fears lie. We worry that God doesn't really like us, that he doesn't love us. But if we are in Christ, he does. If we are in Christ, he does. And so we can walk with confidence, not brazenly with swagger that, that comes from our own autonomy and, and skills, but we can walk knowing that God protects us and He preserves us so we can persevere. And we need not fear what's coming in the future because our future is sure in Christ. But the question for us is, is God's presence a calming refuge to you when you are afraid? Does God's presence calm you when you are afraid? And if not, why do you think that is? Because God's presence is meant to be something that, that is a source of hope and peace for us if we are in Christ. And if we have a hard time taking refuge in Him, or if that just doesn't really mean anything to us, we're like, yeah, it's just a cool idea, I guess. That, that is a big check engine. Like, we need to consider what is going on in our hearts, that being in the presence of the Lord does not calm us. And this is a gift that God has given us, that we have each other as church family. Even though we're not together the way we want to be, we can still call one another. We can pray with one another. These types of questions are important to ask because they are, they are for the life and benefit of your own heart and soul and well-being. But also, if we live in this type of constant fear and dread of the Lord our God, not sure of His love for us in Christ, then it is really hard for us to love our neighbors and we can't even hear the call to love our neighbors right. We hear it as a call to, you better do this or else God won't love you anymore, instead of a grand invitation to be about the work of our Father in this His world. Let's turn back to the text and look at verses 27 through 35 and see how when God's presence calms us of our fear, it sets us free then to walk by His wisdom as it guides us so we can love our neighbors generously in this fallen world. Now, what you'll notice about this section of the text is that it is a a series of five do not commands. And Solomon's point is not, hey, just don't do these five things, don't be a jerk, and then you can check the box on loving your neighbor well. But rather, the reason he is saying don't do these five things is he's saying if these five things crop up in in our lives, any one of them, it is a sure sign that we are walking in fear in some way and not in trusting in God's presence. These things all stem from the fear that descends upon us when we are not assured of God's presence and his love for us in Christ. And so we have to read these things, not just as abstract, don't do this type commands, but as things that remind us of what a life in God's presence should look like. We need to read it through the lens of what we've already learned so far. We don't have time to mind the depths of these, but I would encourage you to, Proverbs is well worth every moment of reflection you can give it. And so as we go through these commands briskly, if any of them really stir up your heart and you sense the Spirit convicting you and saying, you need to think about this, then take some time, either this Lord's Day Sabbath or some other time this week to really reflect on this and ask the Lord to show you how He would grow you in, in your discipleship in these ways. But let's jump right in. Verses 27 and 28, you'll notice they're, they're um, very similar. They say about the same idea. It's all about the fact that loving our neighbor happens today, not tomorrow. And Solomon's point is not just that he's pushing against procrastination or laziness, like get up off the couch and go do something. That's not just what he's saying. He's, he's primarily addressing the fact that our fears for tomorrow keep us from loving our neighbors today. If you are someone who's withholding good from someone to whom it's due and you have the power to pay what you owe or to give them what you promised and you don't do it, it's because you're afraid that if you give what you have today, you won't have what you need tomorrow. If you tell your neighbor, yeah, 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 just come back around. I'll give it to you tomorrow. When God has given you abundance today, then you are forgetting something. Your fear of not having what you need tomorrow, your fear that God won't give you what you need tomorrow is leading you to forget that God has given you more than what you need today. And so we can see how having our fears calmed by God's presence sets us free to be radically generous. It's what Paul talks about in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 8 through 9. He says, look, we need to be the kind of people who when we have abundance, we are able to give of that to meet those who have need. And Paul doesn't say, he says, don't burden yourself. You know, don't give in such a way that you put yourself in a bad spot or in a pinch. But when you have more than you need, don't hoard it for tomorrow. Give it to someone who has need today. And then when you have need tomorrow, they can give of their abundance to you. We are to be a very generous people as the church of Christ. And we are then also to go out into the world with that generosity and to bless people with that and to see them perhaps to come into the fold of God's people. We're to do this with our money. We're to do it with our time, with our attention, with our skills, and with the gospel itself. Think about how often we let this dynamic hinder us from sharing the good news of Jesus with somebody. And we constantly pray, Lord, give me an opportunity tomorrow. But we don't take hold of the opportunities we have today because it it feels a little nerve-wracking or awkward. And we're afraid that, what if they don't like what I have to say? Does that mean God didn't really give me an opportunity? Well, no. Remember, Jesus himself met opposition as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. So we will too. But if God is giving us opportunities today, let us take them today and not put them off for tomorrow. Let us love our neighbors today not tomorrow. Now verse 29, this particular command I think is really helpful. Remember how Jesus defines our neighbor. Our neighbor isn't just the person who lives next door. Our neighbor is anybody in our sphere of influence, family member, friend, co-worker, anybody that the Lord providentially brings into our sphere of influence who has a need of us and whom we can love. Because you can look at this and think, well, what does it mean to plan evil against my neighbor? Like, I don't dig pitfalls at the end of their driveway so they'll fall into them when they get the newspaper because I'm mad about the crabgrass that their lawn put in my lawn. Like, it's not like a Looney Tunes-style, like, vengeance ploy, necessarily, that Solomon's talking about here. What he's getting at is the idea, if your neighbor's dwelling trustingly next to you, but you were planning evil in your heart, that means you were putting on a facade in the way you interact with that person. It means you are hiding bitterness and anger and hurt beneath the surface of of pleasantries and niceness. And so this is a call to be people who pursue reconciliation and peace insofar as it depends upon us. We are not to be those who smile at somebody's face and then spend rest of the day thinking about all the things we should have said to put them in their place. We're to be people who are walking in integrity and who pursue reconciliation, who don't harbor grudges and who don't let those grudges bleed out into poisonous gossip. We should walk in integrity and be honest with our neighbors even when it's tough and costly to us. Verse 30, the idea of don't contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm, to contend with somebody would have been ultimately to bring him to court, to bring up charges against them. So this is saying don't bear false witness against people. And it's also saying don't be the kind of fault finder who looks for one little slip up and drives a wedge into it so you can exploit people and get as much as you can from their mistake or their mishap. And this applies not just to, you know, do we try to sue people for all we can um, when silly little things happen? It's not just going to that extreme case. It's also talking about the way we listen to people. Do we listen as prosecutors or do we listen as good neighbors and friends? Do we listen for where we can be like, ah, I knew you thought that way. Now I don't have to listen to you. Or do we listen in such a way that we want to hear their story, want to know where they're coming from? How much is that needed right now? We don't need fault finders online or in person. We need to be the kind of people who are are looking not just for people to not do us any harm, but we are looking to do good unto them. And then at verse 31, it feels like almost Solomon pivots. And now he says, don't envy a man of violence and don't choose any of his ways. And I think at this point, it's as if Solomon is imagining the son walking along the path of life looking over on the, the distant horizon and seeing the men of violence who tempted him to, to come with them back in chapter one. And the son looks down and he's like, man, I've got my dad's old donkey who's, you know, it's not the latest model. And my, my clothes are like really plain. I don't have that much stuff. And he looks over at the men of violence and they've got like sleek, brand new, top of the line camels. They've got nice clothes. They've got all this stuff. Um, they are like the heartthrobs of all the local girls in town. And the son is like, I feel like I chose the wrong path. And he looks over and he envies the men of violence. And Solomon is warning him. He's saying, don't envy them and don't choose their ways. And so he goes on and he reminds the son, remember, if you are walking in wisdom, if you are in Christ for us this side of the resurrection, then the Lord is with you. His blessing is on your dwelling. You are in his counsel. To the humble, he gives grace. He gives favor. And you will inherit honor on the last day. But the, for the wicked, for the for, for those who walk in violence and sin, it is not so. They are an abomination to the Lord. He curses their house no matter how big it is. And to the scornful, he will be scornful and they will get disgrace. The wages of sin, what they will get is not honor, it is not life, it is death. And Solomon does not take us down this road. and He does not remind us of the fate of the wicked so that we can be like, Yeah, you know, I was going to envy them, but I don't need to. I've got it going on and I can just leave those guys. They don't know what's coming. That's not the point. The point is one, to rip away our reasons for envy. To be like, you're envying something that will kill you. And then two, to soften our hearts. To soften our hearts towards the very ones that we are envying so that we might love them as well. Because our enemies are also our neighbors. And so just as envy could, could, um, could lead to their peril because it would keep us from loving them well, so too do we not need just to remember their fate if they don't come and know Christ, but we need to let that move us so that we would love them as well and draw near. And so the question for us in light of all of these things is what opportunities is God giving you to love your neighbor today? And how might envy be blinding you to these opportunities. And you may be thinking, well, I don't really envy anybody in particular, but if you wish your circumstances were different, then then you are envying somebody sort of in abstract. If we spend all our time just wishing things were different, then we're not focused on the opportunities God is giving us to love our neighbors now. I love how Raymond Ortland puts this. He says, We sin against each other, not only by the bad things we do, but also by the beautiful things we withhold. Withheld love is a life depleting sin. It is a sin to tell ourselves, I'm not doing anybody any harm. The question is, what good are you withholding? Jesus withheld no good thing from you. That ought to convict us, but it ought to challenge and encourage us as well, because remember, Christ has withheld no good thing from us, including his very self. And so we are called not just to be good American citizens who, you know, use our liberty well and don't hurt anybody else, and therefore we automatically count as a good neighbor. We are called to be good Christian citizens who go and don't just seek to live by a do-no-harm policy, but who seek to live by a do-most-good policy, that we would go and we would be known not as just another echo chamber where we all gather and we say the same things, but we'd be known as a type of people who lean into people's lives and are willing to give of ourselves in whatever way we can, that we might build people up and glorify the Lord and point people unto the goodness and the treasures of Christ, who is our wisdom, our life, our redemption. And so Proverbs 3, 21 through 35, it teaches us that God's presence calms our fears. And God calms our fears not just so we can live a life of ease, but He calms our fears so that His wisdom can guide us as we love our neighbors generously in this fallen world. And again, if if you're struggling to know where to start, listen to what Adam McHugh says from The Listening Life, which is a fantastic book. He says, The needs of our churches, cities, and neighborhoods can be staggering. When we view the problems of our world from a distance, we may feel paralyzed and helpless. Further, with lives already overloaded with busyness, we are reluctant to add more activities. Proximity is key. There are nameless, faceless voices, and then... There's the person right in front of you. If you are unsure what to do and who to help, listen to the person nearest you, wherever you are, and prepare to be changed by what you hear. So may we be prepared to be changed by what we hear. We can feel just overwhelmed by by COVID-19, by the impending election, the political tension, the racial injustices we see on TV, the riots, not knowing who to listen to or what to say. It is is just mind-boggling how much is going on right now. And if you think about trying to change the world, you won't even start because you recognize you have limitations. But McHugh's point is don't focus on trying to change the whole world, but start by thinking, how can you love your neighbor? Because they're they're groaning under the weight of all these things too. But if you are in Christ, you have the refuge of God's grace and you have something that allows you to lean in, to have proximity with that person, to draw near to them and to listen well. And to love them generously, at the very least with our attention, in a world that is so distracted and in such a hurry, we can start by being insanely generous with our attention and our time. So let us lift these things up to the Lord in prayer. Let us not just be an echo chamber church. But let us be a church where it is the body of Christ that is fully alive, loving one another well under the glory of God, and, and just fueled by a beautiful spirit of generosity. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, our Father in heaven, we come. We give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are with us. Father, we confess that um, sometimes we we do feel as if we are stumbling. We do feel as if the traps of life um, just, just bite at our heels. And we can wonder, Lord, where are you? Where are you? And Lord, we know, though, you don't leave us. We know from your word that that is a sure promise that if we are in Christ, you will never leave or forsake us. So, Lord, give us the wisdom to see through the fallenness of the world, that we can remember and abide in your presence. Lord, would you calm our fears? There's so much we're scared of. There's so much that's unknown. And Lord, protect us too from cynicism, because fear can mutate into that. And set us free that we might be those who love our neighbor as well, Lord. May we be known, Lord, for our generosity, not in, in our own name, but in the name of the Lord Jesus, that many in our spheres of influence, would come to know you, Lord, and that we would mature, that we would grow. Our discipleship's not over. We're still alive. You're still growing us. So help us to bear fruit in all of these things. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.